0: Welcome to Canucks Corner. This is Aaron Lane, and this is a podcast in which I get to tell you all about the Vancouver Canucks. I'll tell you some Canucks news, I'll tell you how the Canucks did in the last week, maybe where they stand in the standings, and then I've picked a specific game to watch and analyze so that I can let you know exactly how the Canucks did in that game. Then I'll take a look at the week to come, give my predictions for where I think that will go, and that's the podcast. So, let's get started. The pregame show This is a part of the podcast in which I let you know some of the Canucks news, how the Canucks did in the last week, and maybe where they sit in the standings. All right, welcome back to Canucks Corner. It is October 24th, 2017, and yes, something happened. <laughs> so I was watching the Red Wings game because that was the game that I was supposed to cover. But I had got home a little bit late and thought, okay, that's all right. My TV service allows me to restart shows from the beginning. So I went ahead and did that, and I started watching the game, started taking my notes. Everything was great. And finished the first period, and I was just kind of going over my notes and checking things out. When all of a sudden a message came up on my screen and said, because of recordings in progress, you can no longer watch this recording. Or watch this thing that you're watching. And I was like, okay. And then it said, oh, but you can watch it not in high def. You can watch in standard def. And I'm like, whatever, as long as I get to watch my game. So I click on standard def. And instead of taking me back to the game that I was watching, it put me into what was actually on TV at the time on that channel. So I wasn't able to go back to the game that I had been watching because the game was now over. And even though I said, you know, restart show, and it restarted the show, and I watched the first, like, hour of it, it now glitched out, and I wasn't able to get back to it. And so I was unable to watch the game against the Red Wings, which apparently was a nice game to watch, and would have been. I had some great notes (laughs) for the first period. And so that sucked. So. Today I'm here to give you the skinny on the Minnesota game on tonight that just finished tonight, Tuesday, which is fine. It's just that I didn't have a prediction for the game, for example, so already down one prediction for the year, and I would have liked to have finished off my game on Sunday because that was a pretty cool game. Anyway here I am, here you are, we're still covering a game, we're still doing the rest of the show. So, as they say, the show must go on. What the Canucks did in the last week, since we last talked, All right, it started with the Ottawa game. I said, yep, we're going to come back from our loss against Ottawa and we're going to go ahead and get ourselves a win. We put in our backup goaltender, Nielsen. We got a 3 0 win against Ottawa. So that was pretty strong. But it set off a goalie controversy, which I think is ridiculous. At this point in the season, with the two goaltenders that we have, a goalie controversy, to me, isn't a controversy. I don't. I, I. just really don't see it. And I'll tell you why a little bit later. Anywho, so I'm one for one. I got the Canucks winning against Ottawa. That was on Tuesday, October 17. Thursday, October 19, we run straight into the Bruins, and I said, we'd either get the winning Bruins, the badass Bruins or we'd get the struggling Bruins. And if we got the struggling Bruins, we'd go ahead and beat them. We also started Nielsen again. And I'm thinking, should have probably saved Nielsen for Buffalo. But there's this idea that there's this goalie controversy, and we're going to put Nielsen in in, against Bruins. He's the hot hand in the whole thing. And I'm just shaking my head. I'm going, no, no, no. (laughs) that's not how these things work. (laughs) At least not in my experience. And I'm just thinking, no, this is going to be bad. We've put all of our eggs in Nielsen's basket. And we're like, Nielsen's going to lead us to the promised land. One of the tweets was, well, Nielsen's clearly going to win the Vesna. The real question is whether or not he's going to win the heart. <laughs> and, yeah. That pretty much sums up Vancouver's response to the backup goaltender getting a shutout in in my long history with the Vancouver Canucks and our goaltenders. Uh, Anyway, but the reality sets in, and the Canucks get a a five-minute power play because Branson crushed a dude into the backboards, taking a boarding penalty, five minutes, whole thing, and Boston unloaded on us. And it wasn't Nielsen's fault. The Canucks just played poorly in front of him for about a minute and a half or two minutes. And... Three pucks went right by him, and then it was pretty much over. The Canucks did come back, score a couple of goals, but in the end, Boston controlled the game, and it was 6-3 at the end of the game. So, yeah, not a good good day for, for Nielsen. He got pulled after those goals, and Markstrom came in, did all right, held down the fort pretty much for the rest of the game. Anywho, so we have that, and who said that that was going to happen? Well, ultimately I said that. I said, yeah, we'll probably run into the tougher Boston team, and Boston will beat us. So a win against... Ottawa a loss against Boston exactly what I said so there we go and no I wouldn't have taken it had the Canucks won I wasn't going to try to grab it both ways even though I said yeah well the Canucks you know could win this one maybe when I say that I'm not hedging a bet I'm not trying to grab both ends I'm just saying that I'm going to say that the Canucks are going to lose but I'll totally understand if the Canucks win under those circumstances so I'm still good. Everything's everything's fine. Alright. Then next day on Friday, the October twentieth, they went to Buffalo and Buffalo looked terrible. They were just bad. And the Canucks looked reasonably good. And Dorset had I think that was one of his games where he had a, a goal or two and an assist or whatever. He he looked pretty good. Uh everyone else kind of did their jobs, and in the end, Canucks win four to two in Buffalo, pushing the Sabres to a one, five and two record. So great. And what did I say about that game? I said we'd lose in Boston, but we'd come back against Buffalo. So I was right with that one, too. All right, so I'm three for three. I'm going into the game against Detroit on Sunday. Like I said, I was getting ready to do the notes for it and the whole thing for it to be my special game, and it was October 22nd, and everything seemed awesome, ready to go, everything great, fantastic. And the Canucks were going to lose, and the Red Wings are going to just trounce on them because they were excited about beating Buffalo, and then the Wings just sort of didn't. Uh, Zetterberg looked every bit as old as he is. The rest of the wings stumbled around and didn't really push and work very hard. They thought they were running into a pretty easy game, I think. And as a result, the Canucks surprisingly just outworked them. And this was a coming out party for, for Vertanen. He'd already played the game before with, or no, that game. No, I think it was this game. He played with the Sedines for the first time. And he was Happy Jake. And Happy Jake crushes Cronwalls. <laughs> And he got this massive hit on Cronwall, who was doing his old thing about coming in on the guy in his own zone along the boards, and while the guy's worried about what's coming behind him or beside him, and just trying to get the puck out, and not watching for Cronwall, well, Cronwall runs him over. And he, and Cronwall's done this time and time again in the NHL and in his career. Now, he's a bit deep into his career, so, you know. But Jake's father had actually texted him before the game, just like he did last time. Watch out for Cronwall. He does this. So if he comes in on you, just stand him up. Just step into him. So sure enough, Cronwall comes across the blue line to nail Jake. Jake's got his head up. And Cronwall walks into a brick wall. (laughs) And Jake drops him on his butt. And Cronwall's just, you get this picture of him just looking up at kind of Jake. And Jake looking down on him like, yeah, buddy. (laughs) So good. Jake also got an assist on the game tying goal, I think. Um, or one of the uh, one one of the goals anyway. Daniel scored it, I think. And Jake was right on the Red Wings blue line and got the pass just before the blue line. Brought it in, kind of it was bouncing a bit, and they challenged the play, suggesting that Jake didn't have control of the puck and ultimately it was offside, I guess. But the referee had, you know, they had said that Jake was fine, so they had to overturn that, and they obviously didn't see enough in the play to overturn that particular ruling, even though, yeah, it was real close. Although it was remarked later that they had been looking at the wrong thing, that when Jake was doing that and everyone was focused on him, there were like eight Canucks on the ice at the time. So the Canucks should have got a too-many-min penalty, probably, at that point, instead of, an offside call. But the puck did eventually get into the net, and that stayed a goal, and the Canucks were in good shape. Oh, and the, the other thing that Jake did that was awesome was, early in the game, in the first period, I do have the note for this. All right, so what what did I put down here? Should Vertanen have passed, took shot, and rebound? <laughs> yeah, so this is just after uh, Barchi scores from Horvat and Besser. Vertanen picks up the puck in his zone. And he takes three strong strides and gets blows past the people with him. And he comes up on the defenseman who isn't ready for him. He's caught flat-footed. Jake goes around him, and he breaks into the zone, basically creating a two-on-one, essentially. And there is somebody on the other side, a Kanakino, you know, making it a two-on-one. And Jake basically has a clear shot at the net. So he goes ahead and takes the shot, gets the rebound, and kind of doesn't get it in time to get a quality chance as he's coming to the goal line. So I think he ends up missing the net with the second shot. But I had thought that maybe he should have tried to draw the defenseman over just so he could get the pass across, because at that point I didn't think the goaltender would really have too much trouble stopping Jake in that situation. But as that went through my head, what I didn't pay attention to was the fact that he had gotten to that point in a way that we haven't really seen from Jake lately, including like all of last year, that he, he skated strong from the get-go, from his own zone. He beat a guy, left other guys in the dust, and went ahead and had a real good scoring opportunity. Apparently, Coach Green was talking to Jake about that exact thing and trying to get Jake to to start to do that. So because Jake did that early, I think, it really caught Coach's attention. And let's face it, when you're a coach and you're trying to tell these young guys, okay, just do this, please do this, and they never do it, you just get sad. You know, you're kind of like, well, I can tell them stuff, but apparently they just don't listen very often, so... But when you tell them something and they do it and they have success or what feels like a, a successful situation, you gotta not only pat yourself on the back as a coach but you gotta pat them on the back and say you know what? You did what I asked you to do and look what happened. You got a good a good opportunity to score or to set up somebody else to score so you know what? Good on you. I'm gonna give you the third period this time. I'm not gonna sit you down and so there you go I mean that's, that's what young guys get with Coach Green. If they give it a shot, what Coach Green asked them to do, and it comes out all right. Then Coach Green says, all right, buddy, you now deserve the good stuff. So he even put Jake on the power play, and I don't think he would have had this not happened. So, yeah, a, a win for Jake against the Red Wings. Definite great game, and the Canucks win too. 4-1, to the only person who lost was me, who predicted a loss. So for my four games I go 3 and 1 as the Canucks go 3 and 1 and all right I'll take that I'll definitely take that that was all right So then there was the game against Minnesota, which we'll get to in our extended discussion. But we have a couple of things to talk about first. First thing I'll say is that I just want to close off the thing about the goalie controversy. And that is back in my day between Kirk McLean, especially and Roberto Luongo, uh, between... Richard Broder and Kirk McLean. There were moments there where we didn't really have a number one goaltender. And we had a couple of decent goaltenders. Or, you know, somebody like Archer's Urbe or Felix Potvin. And we had these backup goaltenders. Like Bob Mason or Bob Asenza or I don't know how many other Bobs that we had. <laughs> Anyways, there was a ton of guys. They called us a gro- goalie graveyard because we... Had so many goaltenders go through those years. And part of the reason for that was because we thought that if we got... Richard Berder and Kurt McClain were our best two goaltenders by far. I mean, well, you know, I mean, since I'd been watching the team. And we, we got them sort of as okay goaltenders they weren't superstar goaltenders or anything we got Richard when he was quite young from the Islanders we got Kirk McLean in a trade with New Jersey and neither one of them were you know top goaltenders at the time so we made do with the best goalies we could get and so when you're in that position you're gonna have if you're lucky a pretty good goaltender but you're not gonna have a great goaltender I mean not it's so you know so outside of Richard Berger and Kirk McLean say okay so outside of those two, they had absolutely great moments and, and really, really solid careers as Canucks. So outside of those two, so again, talking about more like Irbe or Felix Potvin, these types of guys. So you've got a solid goaltender, and I think Markstrom is kind of like this type of guy. Not going to set the world on fire, not going to win the Vesna anytime soon, but he'll win you more games than he'll lose you, as long as you play well in front of him. I think Nielsen is pretty much the same player. I think they're fairly equal in that regard. And whenever we saw that, whenever we had two goaltenders that were both pretty good, the goaltender who played less, the backup goaltender, often played better. I mean, often had better results. And there were a couple of standard reasons for that. One was they played less. So playing less is generally better for your overall game in a way that, because you're more rested, obviously, and you're less hurt and whatnot. And then the other thing is we often played them against lesser teams. So you play your good goaltend you know, quote good goaltender against the tougher teams, and you play your backup goaltender against the not so tough teams. So your backup goaltender ends up with like a seven, two and one record, and your main goaltender maybe five hundred, whatever, right? So you look at the, those numbers and you go, "Oh my goodness, this backup goaltender is amazing. Why don't, why doesn't he start? He's the best guy we've got." <laughs> and I saw that with with Nielsen. I, I you know, the re- response that people were giving was like, "Oh, goaltender controversy. We've got this awesome goaltender Nielsen. He's sitting on the bench the whole time. Why don't we put him in? And why don't he get a whole bunch more games? And we'll get shutouts galore, and it will be amazing." <laughs> and And I'm just like, I went through decades of this, people. It doesn't work that way. When you give the guy 40 to 60 games, then you see. It really has very little to do with the goaltender. They're both decent goaltenders. It has to do with the team playing in front of them. The team isn't that strong, especially defensively. It just isn't. You take a look at the Canucks' top four defensemen. They're not league quality top four defensemen. Even with Edler in the lineup, even with Stetcher in the lineup, it's... So the defensemen themselves aren't the top of the top and the team doesn't play team defense like the way the Devils did in the trap days. So you're not going to have a very strong team defense strategy that's going to inflate the goaltender's ability to make the saves. Or when the other year when the New York Rangers were doing incredible shot blocking, where three out of every four shots coming into Lundqvist got blocked or deflected away from the net, where he literally only had to stop one in four shots towards the net. So in those situations, yeah, your goalie's going to do well. But if you're an average team or below average, like I believe the Canucks are in terms of team defense and overall defensive prowess, then no matter what decent goaltender you stick in there, whether it be Markstrom or Nielsen or whomever, they're going to do just an okay job, and they're going to win some, and they're going to lose some. And they're not going to set the world on fire. So it's like, you can call con- goalie controversy all you want, but the truth of the matter is, you've got a couple of decent goaltenders on a team that's not defensively tight and strong. They're, I'm not saying the Canucks suck defensively, but look at the numbers. They're, you know, certainly last year, they're they're not strong. They're generally okay you know and sometimes they really do suck it's it, that's that's just the way it is and this is what was amazing about Kirk McLean and Richard Burder that even when they're playing on teams that weren't defensively strong they were awesome and they just took that on their shoulders and they tried their best and got some really really good results overall And then we see the next step. We see the superstar next step when Luongo comes to Vancouver. And there was a couple of years there, even, where we weren't a very good defensive team. And Luongo, especially at the beginning of of when he was with Vancouver, and he had to take, you know, 40 shots a night. And he just did it because he was used to it in Florida. And so anyway, he showed that he was a superstar by putting up great, great regular season numbers. And yeah, we're disappointed that he didn't lead us to a Stanley Cup. But if you just take a look at the numbers, you take a look at what Roberto Luongo did over those years with the Canucks given that the Canucks in a number of those years weren't a very strong team defensively he took a lot of shots and saved a lot of pucks and so he was that that next level where he led the Canucks to president trophies as a result of his goaltending whereas Brodeur and McLean kind of just let the Canucks get into the playoffs and then from there had some amazing runs. So anyway, we can put that aside. There's no goaltending controversy. It's just the way it's always been. And we've got some decent goaltenders, and we'll do fine. No big deal. All right, there we go. Speaking of Stetcher, he took a knee-on-knee hit in Detroit and is out for four to six weeks. So he's joining Edler on the 46-weeks recovery scale. That really sucks. That really sucks not only because, obviously, we have to replace a good defenseman. And an already marginal defensive team is now weaker without a defenseman like Stetcher to continue to. Man, when he went up to the boards this year, he came out with a puck a lot more often than the size of his frame should indicate. Like this guy has grit. He has he has moxie, this kid. He's got moxie. Anyway, so yeah, it it sucks that we we've lost him for the next four to six, and we are gonna have to just work our best without him with who we can put in instead. But we have a little bit of depth now in terms of decent defensemen to stick in there. We recalled uh, Weirkoch for a little bit uh, and then sent him back down because uh, I guess we'll just deal with what we've got now. But yeah, that's sad. Uh, and of course, the other sadness is that he was having a really nice start to the season and starting to develop or continuing his development. And so, whenever you get injured like this, it it slows down that development and it makes you worried that maybe this is going to be, you know, maybe he's going to be the next Edler or Sallow, where he'll start to get injured all the time, and that's horrible. That's like the worst right that you're gonna end up with a career of injuries instead of career of successes and let's hope that's not the case let's hope he recovers and everything's clear from here on in for him we also grabbed um a new guy jonah Gadjevich. he's 19 years old he played in owen sound he is six foot two two hundred and nine pounds forward winger and we got him on a three-year entry-level contract. He had some pretty good numbers in Owen Sound. He had, last year, in 60 games, 46 goals and 28 assists for 74 points. Which, yeah, that's pretty good. So, this kid, this kid, I think, is... I guess he's along the same lines as uh, Goldobin, or maybe even somewhere close to Besser, where he's just... he. He's got offensive talent, and he knows what to do with the puck on the stick. So, yeah, no, I hope this guy turns out pretty cool for us. That would be that would be awesome. And speaking of not awesome, so DeShane is available still from Colorado, and there's been news in the media about this idea of trading for DeShane. The Canucks giving up some young talent or some draft picks or whatever for DeShane. Okay, DeShane's in what? His mid to late 20s, 27 or something like that. How is this? What? No. Okay, I'm just going to say no. Just just no. Because this is not a rebuild if you're picking up Duchesne. Not even close. And not that we're rebuilding now anyway. But, you know, it's it, we're heading in that direction. I, I still, I'm still hopeful. And with Duchesne, especially giving up a young player or two or a draft pick or whatever, giving up anything that we're going to need to rebuild with to get a guy who is going to be thirty in a you know in a couple of years and what are we gonna are we gonna challenge for the Stanley Cup in two to three years? No, no, we're not. <laughs> and yet th- those are going to be the years that Duchesne's going to have to make an impact. And yet, uh, okay, no, let's let's just chalk this up to people getting excited. I mean, Duchesne's a talented guy, but he belongs on a team maybe like Toronto, who has. A bunch of talent already, has a young team that has a good core that in the next couple of years are going to be dangerous. So you stick them in a team like that where they're already on that upswing and ready to go. You stick them on the Oilers, right? You, you don't stick them on a team that came like third last last year. That's all I'm going to say about that. That if the Canucks do that, I don't, I don't know what I, <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know what I'll say at that point because clearly at that point, there's Somebody running the show who doesn't know what they're doing or what they want or what the right way to get there is because already things are on the edge, and when you throw something like that in the mix, you're just asking for it. So, yeah, I'm gonna leave that alone. So, it was the Canucks week, and that was the Canucks news. The only thing left, maybe, is to mention where the Canucks stand in the standings in just a handful of games. It doesn't really matter where the Canucks are in the standings, but just for the giggles. They are third in the Pacific behind L.A. and Las Vegas and just ahead of Calgary and Anaheim. Yeah, it's always nice to not be at the bottom. But let me just say it's a long season and the Canucks have started well and that is fantastic. And I'm happy and it's nice to see, especially young guys like Vertanen and Besser really getting some good looks and making making good choices and having good results. Definite development there that I'm seeing that I'm just super happy with. And Dorsett, okay, I'm going to give Dorsett, again, all the credit in the world. This cat is playing super well. He's showing those young guys how to really give everything you got to a team and everything you got to the game, even though you're not a superstar, even though you're not going to be a first-line player. That no matter who you are on the team, Dorsett's showing, if you're giving 110%, you can get results and he's getting results and it's awesome. So, should we sit or set? Okay. Well, I've said that in the in recent podcast, and I'm going to say, no, of course not. At this point, the guy's giving it his all. You don't sit him. He's getting results. He's showing guys. He's being an excellent leader by example. So, yeah, you don't sit a guy like that doing that. So, Mia culpa, my bad. Dorsett's worked out just fine. Let's set Sam Gagne instead. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Gagne. Just, mm, nope. <laughs> not not having a good go of it. But anyway, let's, let's set all of that aside, and just say, hey, Let's just be happy that the Canucks are having some good times right now, and it's a long season, and there will be some bad times out there. And in the end, if the Canucks can be around 500, can be looking at the playoffs from, you know, maybe just squinting instead of through binoculars, then I think we're fine. I think this is this is all right. But the most important thing, of course, is still developing these young players and getting them meaningful ice time that will help them become the players they need to be when the Canucks really push that rebuild and get to the point where... The Sedins are gone, Edler's gone, Dorsett's gone, Tanev is gone, all of these players now who are anchoring the Canucks ice times are gone, and now they're replaced by guys from Utica and Europe, and now what? Well, these guys playing right now are going to be the leaders, that is, the Vertanens and the Bessers and the Barchies and Horvats and these guys, right? So, Stetchers, ultimately. Anyway. There we go. That's your Canucks news for the week. On to the special game of the week. Game time. This is part of the podcast in which I get to tell you all about a specific game that Canucks played in the last week. As it happens, it is the game that just finished up tonight. The Canucks versus the Minnesota Wild in Minnesota. It's October 24th, and we had our man Nielsen in that, who got shelled in his last game in Boston but previously got a shutout in Ottawa. So we're looking forward to good things from Nilsson tonight. All right, to be perfectly honest with you guys, I missed about the first five minutes of the first period, so I'm afraid I didn't catch any of the awesomeness that happened there. When I caught up to the Canucks, they were killing a penalty, and it was about a minute into the power play, and they ended up killing the penalty. I noticed the positioning of the Canucks was really good. The positioning of the Canucks was really good, the, the announcers had mentioned that the Wild were one of the better power plays, and I noticed the Canucks just were really patient and didn't end up chasing a lot. And the Wild had a couple of random chances, but not a lot of really good setup chances. So, yeah, it worked out quite well. A little bit later, Gagne was trying to get out of the zone, and he got got the puck out, and then he got hit. Kind of the guy came from behind, but then came up beside him before he hit him. So it was a legal hit, but he had hit him pretty solid, and he struggled to get up. He got to the other end of the ice and eventually got back into the play, but that was a pretty tough hit. I noticed that Dorsett was looking dangerous again. He was playing with energy as he normally does, so that was good. Almost had a tip in as the puck. He was going towards the net, and the puck was coming towards him, and he just missed swatting into the net. It might have been a high stick anyway, but nevertheless, it was a good attempt. Biega actually got into this game, and he was wearing Jovanovski's number 55. So, yeah, he actually looked pretty good. He was carrying the puck and making passes pretty well, so I kind of liked how he was looking there. The Sedins and Vertanen on a rush drew a penalty, so that was cool. Nice to see Vertanen again getting a chance with the Sedins and making it work well. So, on the power play, Pouliot gets a good chance cross ice and I'm thinking where's Besser and if I'm not mistaken I think Besser was right in front of the net again and on the low boards behind the net and it it just why was Pouliot the one who was on the side getting the chance to one time into the net and not Besser so not so good and in fact Pouliot got another chance just after that one so he got two chances in a row basically That had Besser got those chances. One of those probably would have gone in, but there you go. And then they had Gagne at the point, and he bobbles the puck at the point, and the puck rolls out. I'm really doubting Gagne for that position there. I know they somehow think that he's this really super smart hockey guy so he can be the the quarterback on the power play, but I don't see that he still has the skills. He might have the smarts, he might have the vision, but, like, Igor Larionov... When he was with the Canucks, man, and later with the Detroit Red Wings. Even though he was older, he had the skills to match his vision. He could hit guys tape to tape from anywhere in the zone. It didn't matter where you were. It didn't matter where he was. He could hit you tape to tape. and It was stunningly amazing. He didn't even have to look at you (laughs) to hit you tape to tape. He was one of the best passers that I've ever seen. Igor Larionov. But Gagne, not Igor. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm sorry. I think it's time to let that one go, Coach Green. Let Gagne take another role in the power play if you must have him there. Just not on the point anymore. And actually not. I don't see a need to have him on the power play at this point, either until maybe he gets his offensive game back in, in, in action, maybe. I noticed Minnesota overall started working harder and skating better than the Canucks, and they are putting some real pressure on, on the Canucks as a result. Nielsen had to start making some good saves, and he was, but he was really looking good positionally. He wasn't jumping around a lot. He wasn't diving around a lot. He was just making the save, controlling the rebounds, just being solid. The other thing you noticed about Minnesota was they forechecked really hard, really aggressively, and it took the Canucks a little bit to get used to that, and luckily for the Canucks, it didn't hurt them while the Wild were doing this. With 34 seconds left, Nielsen made a great save on Erickson Neck. It was, I think it was a glove save. Erickson Neck had, was almost down on the ice in front of Nielsen, about right in front of Nielsen, about maybe 15 feet in front of him. And he just, on the ice, turns like he had his back to Nielsen, and he turned and snapped the puck at him from ice level, sort of. And Nielsen made the save off of that, which was pretty sweet. Then we have the second period. Starts fairly slow and tight. Both teams were really kind of just feeling each other out as far as not being very aggressive and just seeing what will happen. They're pretty passive. Gagne does get off a shot on net that I thought was pretty good in the early second. So I give I wanted to give him some credit for something because I criticized him earlier. So he's not having a terrible game or anything. Vertanen gets a chance to bang in a shot and he doesn't doesn't quite get it in but at least he had that he had that opportunity which I could tell already again he's really feeding off of this being counted on and being on the sedine line and everything's going pretty good for him so he's really showing some extra things Hutton who is not having a great game at times starts really having a great game in the second period comes back strong keeping Minnesota to the outside as they were rushing in and they really couldn't get a thing going even though they had some a little bit of momentum at that point Hutton really shuts them down which was really good and then I also noticed then Vertanen came back and really helped out on D so the Canucks are doing good offensively and then they're coming back on D even the forwards and things are working out nicely then in the middle of this period Michael Zotto has all sorts of problems. He runs into some pretty difficult times. It's This particular one started when he falls just before getting to the puck on the end boards in the Canucks zone. And now he's laying on the ice within reach of the puck. And there are wild players coming at him. And he basically just chips it down the boards, hoping that... Or cross behind the net, hoping that his defensive partner is going to bail him out and... He's going to get back up and everything's going to be good. But that pretty much set up a big advantage movement by the Wild. They had a couple of really good chances. They pinned the Canucks into our zone and made us ice the puck like twice and really had some good chances against us. But we held them off and everything was all right. Eventually later, Besser gets backhand shot from the middle slot as we get the puck back into Minnesota's end and I think it was Bo Horvat that got the puck to him and he gets in that middle slot area crosses the middle and he's on his backhand though but he decides to take the shot anyway and the goaltender just has difficulty tracking it down but I think that's because there was a defenseman right next to him and it might have hit the defenseman it might have come off of him as he was reaching towards the defenseman to stop the puck but anyway it turned out to be a good shot by Besser because it kind of bounced around in front of the net for um, you know a few seconds so that if there was a Canuck there they could have probably slid it in behind the goaltender but Dubnik goes ahead and gets the job done there and it's still 0-0 Ennis had a very good chance with Michael Delzado and Gabranson on the ice I think maybe there's... I don't know what's going on with Michael Dozato, but he's just not having... Everything isn't exactly clicking from... Again, it's not like he had a terrible game. It's just he had moments. It was kind of like Yerke Lume used to be. I don't know if you remember. Yerke Lume was one of our best offensive defensemen. And he had these really great moments where he'd do these amazing offensive rushes and he'd get... He'd score goals just straight up. And he was pretty awesome. And then he'd have these other moments where he'd just have complete brain farts. And he was famous for drop passing the puck when he was the last guy coming up the ice. Like, it was that bad that occasionally he'd do stuff like that. He'd just pass it straight to the other team sometimes in her own zone right in front of the net or whatever. And even though it looked like he had just a really good hockey sense, every once in a while he'd just just pull a boner. (laughs) He'd He'd just have these moments where, yeah, no idea what was going on in his head, but there it is. Yurki Lumi has just basically handed a goal to the other team, or a really good scoring chance. And Delzado seems to have these moments too, where even though he does a bunch of stuff that's really good, there's just these moments where, yeah, things just don't go well. <laughs> and I think that, that this was one of these moments anyway. So that's en- enough about that for now. Then after that, just before the end of the period, Bo and Barchi and Besser in the last two minutes just are causing All sorts of fits for Minnesota in their own zone. And it's just kind of by pure luck that the Canucks don't end up getting a bounce going their way. And we don't end up with a goal in the last minute or so. Because we got some really good chances there. Man, that Bo and Barchi and Besser, that line just looked dangerous all night. And these guys were just starting to get some chemistry going. And I think if they do, it's going to be scary. Scary good, obviously, but scary. There we go. All right, so that was like the second period. There wasn't a lot gone on, and it was a lot of just back and forth, but there you go, still 0-0, heading into the third period. So we start off with a power play. Barchi actually draws a holding penalty, and Gagne keeps the puck in on, on the power play, which was nice. And then the puck in the middle of the slot goes up in the air, and Vanek goes to knock it down with his stick and hits an opposing player with his stick. And so the referee gives him a slashing penalty. But Vanek says to the ref, hey, I was going for the puck. And so, yeah, I mean, there's this, this idea that, like, on backhands, like, after you've shot the puck, if you accidentally high-stick somebody, it's a follow-through, so it's not a high-stick. And I think there's this other idea where it's like, if you're going for the puck, if you're trying to hit the puck and you accidentally slash someone, in the process of doing that, that it's not really a penalty either. I don't know if that's the case, but that's what he was going for. He got the penalty anyway. Anywho, so because we were on a power play that's now 4-on-4, four four, Michael Delzado deflects a Granlin shot. This was a Michael Granlin shot, Mikael Granlin, from the wild, as Granlin was coming in on Nielsen, and Delzado stuck out his stick and deflected up into the crowd, saving a potential scoring chance. So see what I mean? Sometimes Delzato is just on top of it and he gets the job done. But let me tell you about sticking your stick out. Don Cherry was one of these guys who he said a bunch of stuff in his television career that was just kind of out there and questionable or just downright wrong. But there was uh, also a bunch of stuff that he said that was just right on the money. And one of the things he constantly said was, you've got two choices as a defenseman. You either stop that puck from getting through, or you keep your stick out of the way. Because if you just stick your stick in the way of a shot, the odds of that puck deflecting off that stick and messing it up for your goaltender, and your goaltender misses it and it goes in the net, how many times it ends up going into the net, or causes a bad situation for the goaltender, and which may result in a goal just thereafter, like a rebound that results in a goal, happens way too often. It is way too risky a move to stick your stick out in hopes that it deflects over the boards, or deflects away from the net. Far too often, that's the deflection that fools the goaltender. Because you're closer to the goaltender than the shot is. The goaltender doesn't have time to respond to that, and that goal's going to be scored. There, there's nothing they can do about that. Or it'll bounce off the post or whatever and go rebound straight to the other guy who's just standing there into the net, empty, empty net. So Don Cherry was right about that. That it worked out for Del Zotto in that case, but in the Detroit game, the goal that was scored by Mantha, I think it was, the one goal by scored by Detroit, actually went in off of a Canucks stick. And that's part of the reason why it Markstrom said it went in funny like he was trying to figure out whether to glove it or to shoulder it and it ends up being an in-betweener because it deflects off of a stick and you can look at it uh, not that particular goal I mean you can look at it if you want but you can look goal after goal after goal where defensemen have tried to block it with their stick and it goes wrong compared to how many times they do it and it goes right So, you know what? I'm with Cherry on this one. The risk is too much. The ratio is too high for bad things to happen. And let's face it, here's what he says. What's the worst that can happen? The goaltender sees a puck coming straight at him from the guy he can see fully right in front of him. Good goaltenders are going to make that save A large percentage of the time. Unless it's a wicked awesome shot. Or unless it's the goaltender is being bothered by something else. If they're able to focus on that shot and that player. These are NHL goaltenders. They're going to stop that puck a large percentage of the time. But if you stick that stick in there. You're throwing a big wrench into those gears. And it's not worth it. Anyway. It worked out for Delzato. I'm not gonna go on it anymore, but that was just something that in the Detroit game I was thinking of, and so now I wanted to also include it here because clearly it had there was a connection to it in this game. So can I say anything good now? I went and Delzato did a good thing, he deflected a shot away. I should have just stopped and just said that was a good thing. Vertanen gets a great back check, turns over the puck. Sutter, a very good back check in his own zone to intercept and turn it over. The Canucks are playing a really solid game. Remember I gave him trouble for not being a good defensive team? This is how you be a better defensive team. You get your forwards to come back and pressure the other team, make some turnovers. Case in point, after these two good moves by Vertanen and Sutter, Vertanen goes back into the center ice area, and he ends up picking up a, a puck kind of just body positions a, a, a wild player off of the puck, grabs it, comes back into the zone, goes towards the net, takes a shot, it hits the defenseman, but the puck comes right back to him. He fires it immediately again and scores a goal. So Vertanen scores for the second second game in a row, and it's just, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling that Vertanen puts the Canucks up 1-0, and he did it from really making good, Intelligent defensive play, and he had just made another intelligent defensive play before that in the third period after Coach Green had denied him third period play in the first couple of games that he played. So he now values his third period time, and he's trying his best, and he's pumped up, and he's doing what he can, and it's really working out for him. So that's awesome. Great for Vertanen. Then after that, Gabranson has a nice point shot, got the pass from Besser, so one-timer. it was a one timer. Makes me wonder about Besser. <laughs> He's got this amazing shot, but he also seems to have the offensive awareness to to pass the puck really well, too. So, yeah, I'd like to see him shoot more, but he got a few shots this game. But, yeah, clearly he's an, a more rounded offensive player because he can also find guys with the puck as well. So he showed that with Gabranson here, and that was really good. And then Koivu, as the... Minnesota Wild are really pressing they get the puck behind the net and Koivu's sitting right in front right where in that spot where Ovechkin gets to sit right in that slot there and the puck comes right back to him but just out of reach. Goes toward the middle of the slot instead of towards the edge of the slot where Koivu was, and it misses everybody and goes out of the zone, which was tough for Koivu because he probably could have scored from that position. A little bit after that, Vertanen gets another 2-on-1 chance with Henrik, I think, but he gets the pass too close to the goal line and wasn't quite able to finesse the puck into the net at that point. Which is too bad, because that would have been a nice way to end the game with a second goal by Vertana. But then the Canucks get a penalty. Up 1-0 nothing late in the game, Biega gets a slashing penalty in his own zone because there's a broken wild stick on the ice, and so the, the the referee calls the penalty on Biega. Unbeknownst to the ref, it was broken because the guy broke his stick over Biega's stick. So the guy slashed Biega... In his stick so hard that he broke his stick, and Biega gets the penalty with the Canucks up one nothing in the third period. Clearly the referee figured this out at some point, and the Canucks work pretty hard. Benny Hutton gets a good clear, and then as the puck leaves, Zucker kind of runs into Dorsett and knocks Dorset and I think the ref over. And so he gets a roughing penalty for that infraction, which was basically interference or whatever. But really it was a makeup call for the terrible, terrible call on Biega and it came about 40-45 seconds into the penalty so no harm, no foul essentially with that 45 seconds of power play time, Dan and Hank are on the power play and they really show here that they're not in top form as they kind of just throw the puck around a bit and I think Hank at one point lets a puck go past him to the point that had come around from Daniel and the point wasn't there (laughs) And he was just like, oh, whoops, <laughs> and then ch- tries to chase it down. But but yeah, they they were starting to make plays, but there was no finish and no real threat ultimately. So yeah, their their power play time I think is even going to be more limited if they continue to not quite get things done like this. Nielsen with a buck thirty left, the good old ninety seconds makes a really nice blocker save, but it's partially a, a nice save because of brandon sutter who slides down on the ice to block the shot low so the shot had to come high and because that nielsen knew that that was the case and just stood up and he was able to block her it away so that's pretty sweet with 36 seconds left our good friend michael ice ices the puck oh boy if they had scored off of that that uh, i tell you but he was behind the net and he was just kind of firing it around the boards And it just so happened that nobody was able to touch it. And it went for icing. He just pushed it a little bit too hard. And yeah. But anyway. Again. Something that maybe he. As a defenseman. You kind of know that you can't. That that's a risk. And you can't really. And maybe just flipping it out of the zone at that point. Is a better plan. But. Okay, it didn't hurt. So, with 19 seconds left, as Dorsett is chasing a guy towards the point, he gets a stick in the hooking position and thus gets a penalty for hooking with 19 seconds. Ermigerd, it's like, these refs are after us and they're trying to get us to lose this game. You know, that's sort of how it feels. But another interesting thing happens. Koivu, in the previous draw in the Vancouver zone, had turned really quickly into the face-off as he started to go after the puck. And that's being called a lot more lately since... Like, it's a new initiative. Call these jumping in on faceoffs and kick them out. And the linesman didn't call Koivu on that. And so the Canucks complained and said, Hey, come on, he jumped. You gotta call that. And so that very next face-off, after Dorsett gets the penalty, Koivu jumps again and they call him on it. And so Koivu gets kicked out. He gets replaced by Stahl. Stahl ends up winning the draw anyway, but not as cleanly as, as he could have. And thus, they don't really get a good chance. And Nielsen gets his second shutout of the year in three games. So, one nothing. Jake Vertanen gets a game-winning goal, Nielsen gets a shutout, Canucksland is happy, and I'm sure I'm going to hear more goaltending controversy stuff now, and you've heard my take on it, not controversy, just happy that we've got two decent goaltenders who will take their turns however Coach Green decides them to do it, and it'll more or less turn out the same way throughout the whole season that we have in front of us. Anywho, there is the special game of this week, the postgame show. This is the part of the program where I get to tell you what's going to happen in the next week for the Vancouver Canucks and my prediction for how the games are going to come out. So this is a short week. We've got Washington against Vancouver as we come back from our road trip on Thursday, October 26th. I think Washington will be able to handle us. They Ovechkin started off really strongly. He hasn't been completely awesome all the way through, but I think they can take care of us. Our record after road trips aren't so great anyway. So I figure that one wraps up 2-0 for Washington. Then we got the Stars after a nice break there. We don't even play on the weekend. We don't play till Monday, October 30th, just before Halloween. And I think the Stars will play a close game against us, maybe 3-2, maybe an empty net or 4-2. But I think the Stars will take that one. And finally, I think after a couple of losses, we're going to come back, and on Wednesday, November 1st, All Saints Day, we're going to take care of them Devils. Devils will come in. They've got a pretty good record, they'll probably be a little bit overconfident, and we'll make a couple of lineup changes after our couple losses, and we're gonna beat the devils three to one in that game. <laughs> At least that's what I'm figuring. And since I am I was one and three to start in predictions, and I was three and one this last week, that makes me four and four. Solid five hundred, where I'm pretty happy. So it's like me or a coin, basically, is what it comes down to. And this coin says a loss against Washington loss against Dallas and a win against New Jersey so there you go until we meet again keep your stick on the ice this has been Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner podcast if you would like to find me I'm Canucks Corner on Facebook at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter or email me at Canucks Corner pod that's Canucks Corner pod at gmail.com thanks for listening